as the uh, the new guy, um, the one thing that I've observed, the one thing that I've seen in this community is that we gather. Uh, we gather in life groups. We gather in meetings. Uh, we gather for a lot of coffee. Um, we gather in conversation. Uh, and we also get to gather together in worship. Uh, this week we've had two chances uh, to gather um, in spe- for special events. The first one uh, was on Thursday uh, for the celebration uh, of life service for Gary, uh, one of our elders. Uh, and the second time this week we had, had a chance to gather for the Stan seminar. Um, Stan taught us very uh, practical ways of engaging the world around us. Uh, and Gary's life taught us the kingdom of God can be shared through a life that was lived beautifully. From my observations, both uh, of these events um, were, were meaningful because they taught us how to evangelize, how to bring the kingdom of God uh, to the world around us. And so as we gather this morning, will you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Our, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us here as a community, not only on a Sunday morning, but you brought us here because you want to weave us into a tapestry You want to weave us into an irresistible community that lives out a vital message. Um, This is the lesson that we've been learning this week. You've been showing us not only how to live these lives, but you've showed us what this kind of life looks like in very real ways. Our prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would continue to teach us, that you would continue to mold us and guide us. Help us, Lord God, to be a people that you have called us to be. Help us, Lord God, to go out and make disciples of all nations, that we are doing the work of teaching others everything that you have commanded us to do and how you have commanded us to live. We thank you, Lord God, for for the people who have walked before us, uh, blazing that trail uh, and being great role models for us to follow. Father, help us to never uh, grow weary, help us never to grow tired, uh, and Holy Spirit, come and, and work within our lives. We pray, Lord God, as um, we pray, Lord, that you would be with Ben, our, our brother Ben, this morning, Lord God, as he uh, teaches us, as he comes and speaks to us in the sermon, that you would illuminate for us uh, what he has to say for us and, and illuminate for us the scriptures. Father, we pray that you would open up your word, open up our eyes, open up the uh, eyes of our heart, and teach us, Heavenly Father, uh, the message that you have for us, that you would teach it to us clearly. Father, we ask that nothing comes before uh, between your people and your message this morning. And we pray for all of these things in your name. Amen. Emily and I are thankful for the invitation to be here this weekend. And we have greatly enjoyed our time so far. And we've been staying with the Ilman family, and it has been a good time there. And uh, we had a good time yesterday here at uh, Stand. And for those of you who came, I hope you are also glad we came and that we were invited to be here this weekend. Well, yesterday we talked about evangelism in terms of how do we do this? How do we communicate in a secular society? Well, this morning we're going to continue to talk about evangelism. And I know that for some of you, that word evangelism sends a a terror through your body. It frightens you. Perhaps because this word conjures up images of angry men on soapboxes standing on busy street corners shouting condemnation on all who walk by. I saw this happen when I was studying at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. Every fall semester, there were these two men who would come right to the middle of campus. And the University of Minnesota campus, right in the heart of it, is a big grassy area. 
And at any given point, there will be hundreds or even thousands of students in this particular part of campus. And these two preachers would come right into the middle of campus and they would scream and yell as students walked by, calling us all kinds of things like drunkards and idolaters and evildoers, things like that. And of course, some of what they said was true of some of the students. Certainly, we are guilty of sin, but these men were not there to preach good news. In fact, they preached a false gospel called perfectionism, namely that when you turn to Christ, your sanctification is complete and you don't sin anymore. And so if you sin, you must not be saved. So, of course, they claimed themselves to be sinless. So every time when these guys would come in, the atheist club on campus would make a day of it and they would set up camp next to them. It was quite entertaining. And so the preachers would condemn and the atheists would laugh. And they'd say, this is Christianity. Well, these guys, these preachers were not there to have a dialogue. They would not listen to questions or comments from the students. It was not a conversation. This was a declaration, a proclamation of judgment. And that's all. So if you hear the word evangelism and that's what you think, be of good cheer, that is not what I mean. And of course, if the nature of the gospel was only to declare sinners as guilty or to preach a law that demands perfection, well, why would we want to talk about that? What hope is there there? But if you're a true believer here this morning, you know this is not the gospel, what they preached. We cannot save ourselves. And similarly, if our salvation was dependent on our ability to maintain righteousness, we would lose it quickly. Can you imagine if the gospel was just to proclaim that you are guilty of sin and you deserve to go to hell? Stop. That's it. That's not worthy of the name gospel. Gospel means good news. That's not good news. That's bad news. That's very bad news. But the gospel doesn't stop there. In God's vast ocean of love, he sent his son to earth to take on flesh and to live the perfect life we could not live to die in our place so that anyone who believes in him would not die, would not die, would not perish, would have eternal life. That is good news. That is deserving of the name gospel. And that is worthy of talking about. Ah, and when we talk about the gospel with those who do not know it, when we have that conversation, we listen to questions, we talk about Jesus, that's evangelism. And that's what we talk about. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So when you leave this morning, I hope, it is my desire, that you would leave with the motivation to share Christ, to make a habit of telling people about Jesus and not keeping the gospel a secret. Well, let's pray. And we'll consider what the scriptures has to say about evangelism. Father, you are so good. You're so good that you would send your unique son to come to this earth to suffer and die on our behalf. We are so thankful that you would do that. I pray, Lord, that this morning... You would drive that home in us, how good the gospel is, and you would give us a desire to bring that good news to the lost world around us. 
We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Romans 10, 1 through 17. If you are not familiar with the content of the Bible, this is going to be in the, the back half in the New Testament. It'll be the fourth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. So Romans 10, 1 through 17, let's read. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, referring to the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says this, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Well, the author here, Paul, as you might expect, is writing to the church in Rome, the letter of Romans. Well, the Roman church was divided in congregation, having both Jewish and Gentile converts. And although many scholars believe that the church in Rome was probably initially begun with Jewish converts, by the time Paul is writing, it was predominantly filled with Gentile converts. And so we see in verse 1, right away, Paul talks about his his desire for Jews to come to Christ. There were not many Jews in Rome who were turning to the Lord, and so he mentions that desire. However, Paul is motivated for the entire world to come to Christ, not just the Jews. And so our main point today is that we too should be motivated to bring the gospel to the whole world, Jews and Gentiles. And then what I want to do is pull out four truths from this text that will increase our motivation, will give us that motivation to share the gospel with the lost. So let's begin. Our first point and our ultimate point that oversees all of the rest of today, be motivated to do evangelism. We start with an application today. Be motivated to do evangelism. Look at verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, referring to the Jews, is that they may be saved. So Paul wants his Jewish brethren to know the Lord. 
But look again at verse 13, excuse me, 11 through 13. He says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And in 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul's desire for the lost to be saved extends to everyone. That is clear, both the Jews and the non-Jews. Here's the question for us. How does Paul's inner desire equate to a command for us? Right? How do we know that this is not just the section of the letter where Paul is saying, yeah, this is how I'm feeling lately. How is this a command for us? How do we know he wants our heart to reflect his own? And the answer to that question is that the entire passage here is an argument. He's building up with the gospel and it culminates in a series of rhetorical questions. And the point of those questions is to make us as Christians say, I need to share the gospel. I need to be the one with beautiful feet taking the gospel to the lost. See in 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? The answer is they can't. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? They won't, right? Paul wants us to follow his logic and to say, I need to do this. I need to bring the gospel to the lost. This is not just a moment where Paul is saying, here are my feelings. Here's how I've been feeling lately. But that's, it's just me. This is just a me thing. I feel like leading people to Christ, but not you. That's not what he's saying. No, he's saying, yes, this is how I feel. And it is from God. This is a righteous conviction right out of heaven. And it is for you. Feel this way. Desire to bring the gospel to the lost. This burning passion reminds me of the prophet Jeremiah. And the Lord has given him a revelation. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he says this. I love this verse. Jeremiah says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah is bursting with the word of the Lord, desiring to bring it to the Israelites. And Paul is bursting with the gospel, desiring to bring it to the world. And we too should be bursting with the gospel, desiring to bring it to the lost. So how do we get that? You might say, okay, Ben, that's fine. I believe you. I don't feel that way. Where does that desire come from? How do I get that? Well, we're going to see in the text four truths that will help to motivate us, that will fill up our desire and give us that zeal and passion to share the gospel with the world. So here we go. Number one, if you like to take notes, we're going to go one, two, three, four, just like that. Number one, seeking to save themselves, the lost are bound for hell. Seeking to save themselves, the lost are bound for hell. Look at verse two. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So here Paul specifically addresses the attitude that the Jews had about how to attain salvation. 
right? They sought to establish their own by good works. They would prove themselves worthy in the eyes of God. (laughs) What a common lie. What a common lie. If you look throughout all the ages and cultures throughout history, this lie permeates them all. We must do our best to prove ourselves worthy in the sight of God. Work hard and do it yourself. And so many people around us think that if they do more good than they do bad, this will impress God. That he'll just overlook their sin. Consider Buddhism. They don't believe in God, but Buddhism teaches that one must suppress the inner desires of the flesh in order to achieve nirvana. Or consider many cults. And they'll say, oh yes, we say yes to Jesus, but you must achieve part of your salvation. You must do a certain amount, and then whatever little bit you didn't quite get, well, Jesus will pay for that, but, but you've got to do the bulk of it. That's what Mormonism teaches. You have to earn the bulk of your salvation. But this method always fails, because at the end of the day, God demands perfection. Who of us can say, oh yeah, well, that's me? None of us. And so when you look at a person See past the outer appearance of morality, as Paul did. He knew that although outwardly the Jews had a zeal for God, they were lost because they had rejected God's offer to give them his own righteousness through Christ. And that is the only righteousness that's good enough to get you or anyone into heaven. We need Christ's righteousness. And so when you look around and you see people trying to establish their own righteousness, you will know they're lost. You'll know they're lost. So motivation number one, the lost cannot save themselves. They need a savior. They need Jesus. When you think about that, you'll want to share the gospel with them. For only the gospel saves. Motivation number two, the gospel is good news. The gospel's good news. Look at verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That's to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That's to bring Christ up from the dead. Let's stop there. What does this mean? What is this? First time I read this, I was like, this is weird. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy. So I thought, well, let's look at Deuteronomy. That'll help to give us some context. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 12. And Moses says this, For this commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we might hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we might... Hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It's, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you are able to do it. So Moses is telling the Israelites that they need not ascend into heaven to find out how to live for God. They already knew that. That knowledge had been, had been given to them already. It was not a mystery. And this is what Paul is saying to the Roman church about salvation. Believers... You do not need to wonder how to attain salvation. You already know this. That knowledge is yours. You possess it. And what does it say? Verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. And it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. 
that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So if you are unclear about the knowledge of salvation this morning, there it is. We are declared righteous by placing our faith in Christ. And his righteousness is given to us. Well, how does that affect our motivation for evangelism? Well, it reminds us that evangelism is good news. It's the offer of free salvation. It's not a challenge. We don't challenge the lost to do the miraculous themselves. They don't have to ascend into heaven to achieve salvation or descend into the abyss to achieve salvation. No. The only work that we do is that of putting our faith in Christ. We repent of our sin and trust him. He performed the miraculous. We don't have to. And so when we remember the grandeur and the the magnitude or the glory and the free gift that is the gospel, and we will desire to evangelize. For it is not condemnation that we preach. We are not these perfectionist preachers who only preach bad news. We're preaching good news. It's not some impossible law. It is a free gift. That's the best thing you could ever hear. So bring that good news to the lost. Number three, motivation number three. Anyone can be saved by faith. Verse 11. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that's pretty clear. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ will be saved. This means that no one is disqualified from the gospel for any reason. Not because of their race, not because of the language they speak, not because of the type of sin that they commit or the frequency of their sin or because of their previously held beliefs about God, not because of how they've treated God's people, not for any reason at all. Anyone who puts their faith in Christ will be saved. That's a promise. Therefore, if God, the perfect God of heaven, does not disqualify people from the gospel because of their past or present, neither should we limit the people we share the gospel with for any reason And I think we do this more than we realize. Based on a person's history or lifestyle now, we decide for them that they will not respond to the gospel. And so we don't give them the chance. We hold back. We've disqualified them from hearing the gospel, at least out of our own mouths. I'm going to give you some examples of the types of people that I think we as Christians will disqualify so that you know what I'm talking about. Number one, people who reject God's existence, atheists. Number two, people who are already committed to another religion. We think, eh, they're just not going to, they're not going to care about the gospel. Number three, people who don't know the gospel but who call themselves Christian. Four, rebellious teenagers. Five, gang members or criminals. Six, people we have already tried to share the gospel with, but they weren't interested the first time. So we give up. 
Seven, people we can't seem to relate to. Eight, people who intimidate us. Nine, people who are mean to us or others. Ten, and most sadly, sometimes we disqualify the people closest to us, our friends and our family, because we're afraid that either they'll never respond or perhaps that we'll lose our close fellowship with them. We're afraid. And so instead of sharing with them the good news that changed our lives, we pray that God would put a Christian in their life who knows the gospel. But he already did that, didn't he? He did. So God does not disqualify anyone from the gospel. How does that motivate us to evangelize? It does so because it gives us a hope that they'll actually respond, no matter what their background is. In fact, God does this all the time. There are Christians all over the world who would look at that list I just read and they'd say, I was an atheist or I was a Muslim or I thought I was a Christian. And then someone told me about grace. You don't have to earn your salvation. And I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. And I became a Christian. I became that which I thought I was and was not. Or they might say, I hated Christians or I killed Christians Reminds me of the story of Jim Elliott who went to the Aka Indians to share the gospel and he and the other men were speared to death and the wives of those men went back to that village and they persevered and slowly that village came to Christ. Those people who were murderers, they killed missionaries and now they're Christians. And so if you say, I won't share the gospel Because they won't receive Christ because of this reason or that reason. For whatever reason you give, there is a Christian somewhere on this planet with a similar background. And now that background is part of their testimony to God's goodness and God's grace and God's love. So number three, you can be motivated to share the gospel because anyone can come to Christ by God's grace. There is hope. There's hope. So share the gospel with the world. Do not disqualify anyone from hearing it. Number four, and our final point, you may be the only person who ever tells them about Jesus. Start in 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our final motivation for preaching the gospel is that there are people who have never heard. There are people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. And they will not unless a Christian opens their mouth and speaks that gospel to them. Now, we live in a unique time in history where there are more people in more countries and more languages who are hearing the gospel than in any other time in history. And yet, billions of people still do not know the gospel message. You might think, well, where are these people? Are these the people in other countries? Well, yeah, 
course. I remember learning a story from some missionaries a few years ago who had been serving in Turkey. And they had met a, a Muslim man who had had a dream. And on his, in his dream, he saw Jesus. He didn't know it at the time, but he saw Jesus dying on a cross. And then in his dream, he saw Jesus alive and well. And so he knew there's some significance to this dream, and he would ask his friends, what does this mean? What does this mean? And they'd say, I don't know. And so he'd go to someone else. Do you know what this means? No. Go to someone else. Do you know what this means? No. And for seven years, the answer was no. And then God put a missionary in his path who shared the gospel with him. And immediately he realized this is, this is Jesus. He put his faith in Christ. Well, even while searching for the gospel, it took him seven years to find it. So, yeah, the Lord wants us to bring the gospel to the world. And some of you, perhaps in this room, God might be calling you to be a missionary, to finish your degree and go be a missionary, or to raise your support, quit your job, and go take the, the gospel to the world. Perhaps some of you are meant to do this. But not every Christian is called to full-time missions work, and you don't have to cross the world. You don't even have to leave the city to find people who haven't heard the gospel before. My guess is we could take a walk down the street and within two minutes, I bet you we could find someone who doesn't know the gospel. That's my guess. I did a little research on Vancouver before I came here. So I'm going to tell you some things you probably already know, but I think they're important. There are really two themes that stuck out. Number one, just how extremely secular Vancouver really is. I read that on the 2001 census, 42% the people in this city claim to be agnostic, atheist, or humanist. That's pretty high, 42%. And that was in 2001, so perhaps it's 45 or closer to 50% now. A number of different sources that I found are calling Vancouver the most secular city in all of North America. Number one in all of North America. It's a lot of people who need the gospel. Well, the second interesting fact that I found was just how extremely international Vancouver is. And I know you know this. I know this church is very international. But did you know that on the 2006 census, 40% of the people in the, the Vancouver metro area were foreign-born? That's higher than Los Angeles. That's higher than Miami. That's higher than Sydney, Australia. That's higher than Melbourne, Australia. This is one of the most international cities in the world. And even if the immigration rate hasn't increased since 2006, and I'm sure it has, this would mean that there are 90,000 immigrants representing most of the countries in the world that live in your backyard. You want to reach the world? Reach Vancouver. So when you go to work or when you go to class or when you are visible in your neighborhood, you are surrounded by people who have probably never heard about Jesus or never heard the full gospel explained to them. And they need you to tell them. God may have called you to your specific location in life, your job, your house, your, uh, your, the things that you do, your recreation, because you would meet a person who's never before learned about Jesus. Will you be the first one to tell them? It's fun. I encourage you to do it. So again, the Apostle Paul assumed that Christians would be compelled by this fact, that there are people who haven't heard the gospel yet. So we should be motivated 
to bring the gospel to them. So we've come to the end of our text. And where do we stand? As a messenger from the King of Kings and and writing in his authority, Paul wants us to be motivated to bring the gospel to the lost world. We know that people cannot save themselves. We're all bound for eternal destination in hell. But we know that God sent Jesus to die in our place so that we could receive salvation by faith. We don't have to live up to some impossible standard of perfection. Jesus did that. It's good news. It's the best news. Who are we kidding? And since everyone who trusts in Christ will be saved, we have a hope that anyone that we share the gospel with, they might come to salvation. They might. And if you are sitting here this morning and you've never before understood how God could offer you salvation, now you know. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. He already paid for your sins. They're already paid for. And he's offering it to you so that you can have salvation. You can't earn it. Your righteousness is not really that righteous. But Jesus is his righteous. His, his is perfect. He's offering it to you. So trust in Christ if you've never done it before. And believers, tell this good news to the lost world. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And this message is great. Would you give us a spirit of boldness? Would you give us a motivation? Would you give us eyes to see those around us who need the gospel? Would you give us inroads to talking about him? That Vancouver might hear. They might see the light. They might know who you are and trust in you. Would you be glorified? in all that we do and all that we say for your name. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.